HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we rethink surplus by exploring how innovators are promoting sharing mindsets and responding to excess in creative ways. The whole life cycle of food would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter behind China and the United States if it were a country. You know, in the age of COVID, where a lot of those institutional processors did grind to a halt and a lot of farms had to dump milk in Pennsylvania, even while supermarket cases were, were bare, the organic market stayed strong. They source all these ingredients, they do all of this work, and then they just boil it for a few minutes and then they throw it away. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, Greg. How are you today? I'm awesome. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Southern. Indeed, sir. Luck of the Irish. Kiss me, I'm Irish. All that stuff. Oh, uh, yes. Are, uh, you're, you're Irish, right? Or Scottish? <laughs> man, come on. Yeah, Scottish. Uh, I get that crap all the time. Uh, yes, I'm very Scottish. Teague is a very Scottish name. Um, but uh, yeah, St. Patrick's Day, which means uh, we've officially, very officially... Uh, crossed into the one-year mark of dealing with the pandemic uh, um, uh, in, in our industry. Uh, I remember last year on the 15th, it was a Sunday, and that's the day we decided to close the morning market. We closed early that evening, and that's the day we decided to close the uh, city of New York's uh, restaurants and bars all closed on the 16th officially. But we were so uncomfortably slow and uh, everyone was in such a strange mood that we decided to pull the plug early that night it's very memorable for me and it's um an uncomfortable milestone to pass absolutely man and it's it's just so weird to to think that you know we've been saying on the show it's like oh what a weird you know three months, four months, five months, nine months and now it's you know we we've been rounding up to a year for a while but yeah, we passed the last day that I worked was March 14th of last year, which is just, it's its mind-boggling that it's been over a year. It's also weird to think that, you know, with, with this particular day, with this March 17th, we have now lost St. Patrick's Day to the pandemic two years in a row, which is mind-blowing. Um, I actually wrote a, a piece and published a piece about this, and it's going to be, we'll put the link in the show notes but I started writing it kind of about, you know, what this year has cost bars and restaurants, which regular listeners to the show will know is astronomical. It's astronomical in terms of what it's cost the businesses. It's astronomical in terms of what it's cost the people that work there. But I also sort of looked into a little bit like what does it cost the, the you know, our, our guests, the, the diners, the drinkers to not be able to celebrate a whole calendar year's worth of holidays in the places that they love with the people that they love. And I almost kind of wonder if that's why time feels like an old sock where the elastic just doesn't fit 
quite right anymore. You know, if, if we don't have these moments where we can get together on like, you know, Thanksgiving or 4th of July or Cinco de Mayo, my, one of my personal favorites, um, then it doesn't feel like we've turned the page on an era and everything just kind of bleeds into, you know, one day just kind of turns into the next, turns into the next, turns into the next. And then it's St. Patrick's Day again, you know? Yeah. I mean, surely the, as the, as all these markers of the year go by, whatever they are, flag day, uh, you know, boxing Good day, old flag day, <laughs> boxing day, uh, they're, they're exactly that they're markers of the passage of time. And I feel like in many ways, uh, this past calendar year has, you know, just been a, a, a one giant pause of time. Yet at the same time, when I look back over the past year for myself anyway, I see just a massive amount of things got accomplished and uh, and just as many things got uh, neglected, um, as I guess with any year. I mean, I think it's, for me, it was really noticeable on... Um, New Year's Eve. Um, I think this was the first New Year's Eve that went by in, I mean, I would, you know, cautiously say 15, but probably more than 15, where I didn't work, where I didn't uh, cross over midnight, you know, in a room full of people uh, celebrating the passage of time um, and marking it. Uh, you know, so it's, just, and as you mentioned, Thanksgiving, Christmas came and went. I didn't see friends or family. Uh, you know, I just uh, spent all of those marking days kind of alone, uh, and 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 that's for me, for someone in the in this business who's normally you know literally surrounded by people on those days. And yes, of course, uh, the average uh, you know, person from the public uh, has missed all those things as well. It's I don't know, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people uh, as as this year has marched on. Um, saying things like it didn't count, so you know it's my birthday, but I'm I'm the same age as I was last year on my birthday, so because this year didn't count, so like a lot of people I think are considering it just a pause this whole past year. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I and and what you said about you know how it affects everybody is very true, but I think it affects people in our line of work particularly because you know you don't you don't tend to be a career bartender if you're you know the the shy wallflower type. You you like to be in those crowded rooms full of people. You like to be up on that stage and and bartending and being you know the the MC who counts down at the end of December thirty first. And to miss out on that has been particularly you know it's been hard financially. It's been hard uh, for people's physical health. It's been hard for so many reasons. But I also think we we need to pay attention to the fact that it's been hard psychologically too to be able to miss to miss out on all that. Um, but some good news. Um, I on the one year anniversary of the day the bar that I was working at closed down, I got my second shot of the vaccine. So there is hope on the horizon, which is great. Congratulations! Really glad to hear that you're all done with it. I am still in the uh, I don't know, repetitive loop of trying to line up my free time with an appointment <laughs> um, because everything is behind the scenes at the bars is starting to come back to life and I'm very busy. Uh, so I can't seem to nail down an appointment that I am free for. So I haven't even gotten the first shot yet. However, here in New York, uh, the Javits center, which now people are terming the Javits center. Too bad Damon's not here. He loves puns. Um, <laughs> the Javits center, uh, is offering 24 hour, uh, um, I said, res almost said reservations. <laughs> 24 hour reservations are available at the Javits center, uh, appointments, uh, and uh, what I'm hearing through the grapevine, I'm going to try and get a, a late night one. Uh, what I'm hearing through the grapevine is that the uh, the overnight appointments are all the Johnson & Johnson uh, dose, which is the single dose. So I'm hopeful to just get the, the one-shot the one shot deal. Um, but I'm glad to hear you've gotten it. Uh, and lots of people I know are, are at least in the first round, and many people are on the second round. It's very encouraging. Uh, it's putting people's minds at ease, and hopefully we'll be able to transition back into a somewhat normal flow of business, though my fear is still there that, that after a year of being told to distance from other human beings, it's going to take some time for people to be comfortable cramming into little tight spaces like the bar you worked at, uh, which was 
really small, and as a guy who runs a Mori Margot, to say that another bar is really small is, is, a, is, a, is an accomplishment in itself. I know, yeah, I'm, t- I'm touched. <laughs> Jesus, that's like, you know, that's like Derek Jeter going up to someone to be like, hey, man, you got a nice swing there. Like, wow. <laughs> it was a tiny bar, wasn't it? Thank you, yeah, sir. Yeah, it's like if we built a bar in the back of a Mori Margot. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the annex. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's, I think it's going to be a while, Greg, before people are are truly comfortable enough to be in that close of quarters. I, I think I've said it on the show in the past. I think New York will bounce back quicker than a lot of places um, because we're already, you know, stacked on top of each other in apartments and we have to ride the subway and we just sort of get re-socialized. We're going to get re-socialized pretty quickly. But I don't uh, see that translating to, you know, places like Des Moines, Iowa, where you are you already have plenty of distance all the time. You've got your own vehicle that gets you around. You shop and eat at places that are pretty big already you know social you were already socially distancing at restaurants because they just have the space um so i think that's going to be a little bit of a slower trail for other folks in other non you know sort of densely populated or cosmopolitan areas and it's going to you know new york relies on lots of tourism and i think that you know people are going to maybe decide to to travel to a beach or or you know a mountain retreat instead of coming to know densely populated areas for a while i don't know i'm hopeful that i'm wrong about this but um you know i think humans are just conditioned and after a year of globally being told you know don't be close to one another it's going to take a while before we're rocking back into that even when we're all inoculated and 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 taken care of by the vaccines that are available um anyway see i I don't don't know man that's me that's me dark siding as usual no there's no damon here to bright side it well let me well (laughs) let me bright side it because i do honestly i i think you might be wrong about that i think people are are we're a social species at least you know a, a lot of us we like to be in in we're not designed to spend a year alone in our homes you know we we need to be around other people some of us more than others. Some of us are more extroverted than other people. But I think even the most introverted introverts need some social aspect in their lives. And we're all so starved for it that, you know, the, the introverted introverts might venture out to, I don't know, a bookstore. Or a, I, I don't know what introverts like because I'm the most extroverted person who's ever lived. But I'm going to be out there hugging whoever wants to hug as soon as we're allowed to do that. And everyone is welcome to join me. Um, and speaking of folks that run uh, bars that tend to get very, very packed and that I can't wait to go back to and experience that again, uh, Souther, who do we have joining us in the studio today? Uh, man, we are lucky enough to take some of the precious time of St. Patrick's Day away from uh, Jillian Vose from The Dead Rabbit. Jillian, welcome to the virtual studio. Good to finally, finally have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here and... Uh... Yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely a, a busy day, but we're excited to be open this year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, talk about reopening the Dead Rabbit a little bit. How, how has the process been going, and and leading up to to the current capacity that we're allowed, and 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 getting things back in working order? Well, um, you know, we actually we didn't open um, until the fall of this year, so. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't have any outside space, um, so we were completely shut down for about 10 months, and um, we decided to do, like, merchandise and to-go stuff, and, um, you know, when we realized that the 25% was not going to go to 50 anytime soon, we said, okay, let's really look at this and see if it's doable, and um, we ended up opening up um, the, the extended taproom area that has seating. Um, invested in getting dividers and spreading out the tables and, um, you know, getting all those, um, you know, all the PVPs in line, everything. So, um, yeah, it ended up going really well and we were on the right track and then we got shut down again for, you know, a little over a month. And now I feel like this second reopening, we were more prepared. We knew what to expect. Um, we weren't as nervous going into it. You know, we had done it before we were even in a, in better shape because we were just more organized to um, open up, you know, in, amongst a, a pandemic. And then, um, you know, it's been kind of because it's staggered. It's like, okay, we've we've opened one bit, and now I have time to to open the next part and to to hire like you know hire more people back, um, clean everything, get everything organized. So like you know, we opened up the the parlor extension, 
and now this week I'm, you know, getting the the big parlor ready for uh, 50% on Friday. So in a way, because we're, you know, we are on a smaller crew um, and the manage, management team um, is, you know, very hands-on right now with the day-to-day, um, it's, it's almost, it has to be that way because, um, you know, with us just doing a lot of the brunt work of, of the reopening and the, um, the day-to-day. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge to, to sort of re, I, th- I think one of the things I've been sort of telling my team and, and uh, anyone who wants to ask me uh, is it's after a year, we've gone beyond the notion of reopening, quote unquote, reopening. We're not reopening anymore. We're grand opening again, right? Yeah. We've, we've depleted all of our inventory over this past year because we've been ordering so lean. We've, uh, you know, had staff that, that hung on as long as they could uh, and then have decided that they either had to take on a new position or, or literally many of them left the city. And that, that, and that staff includes kitchen, front of the mm-hmm. house, management, um, uh, you know, and, and then we've let uh, plenty of our, and I'm, I'm certain, you know, that Rabbit has as well, you know, just plenty of the automated systems that are, that are in play or in place have, have obviously failed over that time. So it's reestablishing connection to purveyors. It's really all the same energy and effort as a grand opening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, <clears throat> just like you said, like the stock and everything, you know, like we also had um, the parlor had a different menu, has a different menu typically. Um, and we had just launched a new menu that week. And so I had all this stock um, for these kind of bespoke cocktails. And now mm. when we reopen, we are, we're only doing the tap room, but we've expanded that list. But, you know, I'm just sitting on all these kind of weird ingredients I can't use and trying to <laughs> come up with creative ways to incorporate them into the menu. But in a way like these um, QR codes, like, you know, virtual menus are actually a help because they're easier to change. Mm. Um, so that that's, I guess, a positive. Um, we can switch drinks more than in every four to six months like we used to. So there's ways that you're kind of figuring out how you can um, work with it, you know, and uh, use it to your advantage. Um, you know, we've definitely, you know, you said with, with the staff, I mean, we, we only hired back seven bartenders. Um, and they work a very long, like we were open Tuesday through Sunday and they work a very long shift on the weekends. Um, and so it's, it's, they might only get two or three shifts a week, but they're like very long shifts and they do pretty well. Um, but they're not working four or five shifts like they used to, but, um, it's kind of condensed, but, um, yeah, we've lost, uh, not lost, but like, you know, a lot of people have moved on and moved to California. They moved, uh, to Miami. Um, they've taken on, you know, uh, roles with like liquor companies. So like I can, or, or other bars and that's about, I'd say about six or seven people to date have, have, have done that. So it's, it's a bummer, but we couldn't hire everybody back right away. So, you know, everybody must move on and, and look up for themselves. So. Yeah. And I'm sure with, with, um, Actually, for for listeners that haven't uh, had the the joy of going to the Dead Rabbit, which, you know, once the world stops eating itself, you absolutely should if you haven't already. Could you sort of describe the the general layout of the place? Because there is multiple, it's almost like there's multiple concepts sort of stacked on top of each other. And also, it seems like every time I go to the Dead Rabbit, there's more of it. So sort of talk about what the general layout of the place is and, and whether or not that's been challenging or you know, a boon to have that as you figure out what to reopen and where to go. I, I could see it going one of two ways. I could see it being, oh, we're going to open, you know, the the tap room, but not the parlor or vice versa. Or is it like having the same four puzzle pieces and you keep trying to arrange them in different ways and it doesn't quite work no matter which way you do it? <laughs> well, um, yeah, the, the so the Dead Rabbit is, um, it's a, it's an, it's an Irish cocktail pub, I guess you could say. Um, we have uh, multiple <laughs> rooms. A, I think it's an Irish cocktail juggernaut. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we're, we're, our focus is to bring the Irish pub to the 21st century. Um, you know, we've, we've, have, we've done a lot of research over the years, and obviously um, the two founding uh, owners, Jack McGarry and Sean Muldoon, are, are from uh, Belfast in Ireland. Um, and... I came up with the concept to kind of link the history of, of New York and, and Ireland together during um, the era of like the mid 1800s, uh, where the Dead Rabbit 
Irish American street gang would have been running rampant uh, in downtown. So it's it's a story in itself, and we ran with it through our menus and um, artwork and things like that over the years. Um, but the 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 venue itself um, originally was one building um, that had three different bars: um, the tap room um, being like the, the the public house, the pub. Um, the second floor being the the parlor, which was a seated only cocktail bar um, known for its um, intricate menus and um, uh, award-winning cocktails and, and bartenders. And then the um, the third floor would have been is an event space. Um, about two years ago, we expanded um, into the building to the right of us at 32 Water Street. Um, it used to be a, a Lenwich, uh, Lenny's sandwich shop. <laughs> and it went as soon as that, welcome to Lenny's. Um, as, <laughs> it was so annoying. Everybody had to say it to you. Welcome to Lenny's. Welcome to Lenny's. Um, so uh, as soon as that w- became available, um, our investors like and our, uh, snatched it up and we, we went for it. I, the biggest thing um, as we grew and became more popular, our biggest complaint was that we didn't have enough room and we couldn't fit everybody. So this was the only the only option was for us to um, expand, and we were lucky that uh, it came available. Um, with that, the building next to us, we got the the two floors, uh, the first two floors of that building, and the basement. Um, and so we expanded the tap room to have a seating area. Um, it's it's a ginormous room, um, and uh, lots of standing room, but also table seating uh, for a more casual like dining and drinking experience. Um, as well as standing. Um, and then the upstairs from that, uh, we expanded the parlor, which um, I call it the baby bar. It's like a tiny version of the parlor, um, but it's been great to have um, for private parties, like smaller parties, um, for doing things like uh, video shoots and interviews and things like that. It's a great little bar for that. Um, but, you know, every every room has its charm. Um, you know, unfortunately, with the the original tap room, it's a very long bar. It's kind of, it's packed in there. Everybody's standing and, and you know, there's great banter in there. But we couldn't reopen it because there really isn't a whole lot of seating. Um, it's more of like a dry bar area and bar seating. Um, so you'd be able to fit like, what, like six people in there? Right. Like that, no, that's not like a great, great uh, environment. So we transitioned that into a merchandise area. Um and then we cut it off about two thirds, and we have a few seats in the way back. Which which wasn't so far from what you were doing already, right? Dead Rabbit Grocery and Grog, you always had merchandise. You just sort of expanded it a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, we actually kind of cut the the, the grocery and grog part off of the of the uh, the uh, the name re- like a few years ago. But um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, we've always you know thought of our bar as a brand in a way. Um, and we have expanded our merchandise, uh, for sure. And, you know, not all of it will be forever. Um, but we certainly are going to continue doing the things that work and that, that people are continuing to buy. Um, you know, as, as we expand the business and open up more locations around the country, um, it kind of only more establishes our brand. Um, and hopefully, you know, there is the demand for, for most of the merchandise, but yeah, it's not, um, and that's not an easy thing to do. You know, you have to, you have to get the artwork done and then you have to get somebody to print it. And, you know, (laughs) it's from, they have to source all the different things. So like, you know, you have, we have like, say a, a Zippo and a, uh, you know, a coffee mug and a shot glass, you know, it's like a sweatshirt, like they all have to be sourced and then printed. So yeah, it's a process, but it's cool. We're, we're lucky we were able to do it. Yeah, and that you're in such high demand. I mean, it's uh, even sounds a bit absurd to hear you say, you know, people thought we didn't have enough room. You're a three-story bar in New York City, uh, you know, uh, and to, to have such demand that you have to absorb some space next door and continue to grow. Pretty uh, pretty fortuitous and, and outstanding. Um, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, Jillian, love to talk to you about... Uh, the book that you've uh, put out, uh, The Dead Rabbit Mixology and Mayhem, uh, which is a, a graphic novel, which is based on the story that you just uh, started to tell and your menus that you've put out in the past, which have all been sort of graphic novels in their own right. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back with Jillian Vose from The Dead Rabbit on St. Patrick's Day. Cheers. 
Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salad. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, It's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st slash hrn. And we are back. You are listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking with Jillian Vose of The Dead Rabbit in Fidei, appropriately enough on St. Patrick's Day. Did everybody get a Ooh. refill of uh, Irish whiskey or Irish coffee during the break? Everybody have a chance to do that? Oh, indeed. Did. Great. Awesome. And and yes, I'm glad no one was like, refill? No, this is my first one. Every, we're all on the same page. Good. Awesome. <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Exercise <laughs> moderation. Um, but I do sort of want to talk about just because, you know, we were talking at the top of the show, what a a weird thing this is to spend. This is the first holiday we're going to spend, you know, indoors or at least in this bizarre, undesired new reality for the second year in a row. And I am kind of curious, Jillian, what it was like last year, because I imagine as an Irish bar, there's all this ramp up you got to do. There's publicity. There's, you know, you got to uh, staff up for the tidal wave of people that are going to come in. You've got to order a lot of extra inventory. I would be stunned if you told me that you didn't have a special menu plan. So, what was it like building that and also kind of keeping an eye on the news and realizing, oh shit, this could be bad? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, at the time, like Jack was kind of the, the eyes on, on the news, just filling us in as we were kind of working service. Um, and, you know, you just didn't believe it. You just didn't believe that it was going to happen. And when it did, um, and it, it just happened to close, like, you know, the night before St. Patrick's Day. I mean, like Souther said before, like, you know, you, you were very slow um, that weekend before. So you kind of like saw it coming and like we closed the parlor, uh, that Monday and only opened the downstairs. And we ended up having one of the sessions, like the live, um, Irish music, but on the Monday night, um, but we had to close at like 8 PM that night. And so we had, uh, two sessions, uh, scheduled for the next day. You know, that's their biggest gig of the year. Um, you know, we have to, you know, that's expensive to, to have like a top Irish band play on St. Patrick's Day, not not one, but two. Um, and then, you know, yeah, ordering tons of stock. I mean, I had to return 30 kegs of Guinness. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Wow. Like, basically, we have to like, order more for like weeks beforehand to kind of, you know, have enough for the day of. And, um, you know, that I mean, it's a, I mean, yes, it's a big place, but like the basements of New York city buildings that, that were built in 1828 are, are still they, they challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you can imagine what that was like. Um, you know, and then the volume itself, we, we typically would have the regular cocktail menu in the tap room, but then I do like a special menu for the parlor. Um, we have to batch all that stuff. And then, um, we also do a special menu, like focusing on like a particular spirit 
brand that we'd work with for that day. Um, so, you know, it, you know, getting the menus designed and, um, you know, ordering all the stock and making all the syrups and batching what we need to batch and yeah, scheduling more people, our, our hours are extended. Um, at least it wasn't like, at least we had, like, it was slowing down that weekend before that we kind of didn't have to order it everything um but the guinness thing was a was a heavy hit yeah <laughs> that's so there that's such a perfect and sad metaphor for saint patrick's day of last year is like un untapped unenjoyed kegs of guinness getting hauled out of a basement and sent back to I, i'm i'm Picturing the beer equivalent of the Island of Misfit Toys from Rudolph the Red-Nosed <laughs> Reindeer just to, oh, maybe next year Aww. someone will enjoy us. Yeah, Ugh. well, they're back, you know, not 30 kegs this year, but, um, you know, obviously we, at seating only, we have a reservation system now. Um, so from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m., we're pretty much booked solid, taking some walk-ins, of course, but, uh, you know, at least it's a little more you know what you're getting into. We have a better idea how many people will be coming through the door. Um, so in a way, like we're still getting back into the groove of things. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it is what it is and we're making the best of it. And, um, we're excited to have, uh, you know, the bands back. It would be the first time we've had a session back since, uh, the closing. And so that's really exciting for us. It's part of our identity. And, um, not having the live music on the Sundays was, was pretty, I don't know, pretty sad, but we're happy to have the guys back and the girls back. And, um, yeah, I mean, last year it was just uncanny, you know, we closed that Monday at eight o'clock and the next day, uh, Jack, Sean, Laura, and myself, um, we came in and we just cleaned and we like covered everything up and like, just kind of were numb. We just kind of like, couldn't believe it was happening. And we, the next day the bar was boarded up and we all kind of didn't see each other for my, well, I mean, Laura and I ended up taking off uh, outside of the city, but then we didn't come back to work until August. Yeah. It was a very surreal, uh, you know, on, on, you know, kind of this day last year was very much like, well, you know, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, maybe a month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, very <laughs> optimistic, uh, you know, uh, foolishly, I guess. Um, yeah. but yeah, it, uh, it really took a toll. What sort of things did you do in those, uh, um, when you started to come back, even before we were allowed indoor, were you starting to do some to go, some, uh, you know, order for pickup kind of things, or did you, did you just forego all that altogether? Um, so, you know, because nobody knew, you know, how long it was going to last. And for us, you know, it was like, we're going to do it right. And we're not going to do it at all. Um, like with the merchandise and the to-go stuff, um, you know, that takes time to get organized and, you know, labeling and uh, printing and getting all that stuff done. Um, when After we decided we were going to do it, I'd say, like, I think we decided in, like, June or July, okay, we missed the mark on the outside dining. We have a bus stop outside. There's a lot of, you know, um, city, you know, stuff we'd have to go through, which we're dealing with now, but... Um, Okay, we missed we missed the mark on on being able to do outside dining. So in the fall, when outside dining starts to s slow down a bit and it gets colder, we'll then get back in it uh, with doing to go. Um, so that's when we did the merchandise shop. Um, we got all the merchandise like ready to be um, in house for that fall, and then we did do um, you know I picked six uh, house cocktails and six classics. Um, and we are indeed those. I came back for like a week over the summer. I was, I went home to Cape Cod for four months. Um, but I came back for a week and met the guys at the bar. And we just like, you know, I made the drinks. We decided what it would be like. We, you know, saw how long like the, the, the shelf life would be. And we just kind of are all happy with that. Got everything printed. And um, even went to the extent of like making videos, like, like a QR code on the cap directs you to a video of like how to execute the drink at home. Um, and like during the time, you know, that we all got back to work, it was more like we just gradually um, came into work more and more and more. So, you know, it might be Monday through Wednesday, we'd come in from like 12 to five or six. And then like, then once things were like more and more, we would come in Monday through Friday, 
12 to 5 or whatever. And then, then we were open uh, in the merchandise area. So Laura and I would kind of take turns being there. Um, so like we just kind of gradually got ourselves back into a work mode and into a schedule and being around each other. And um, we took on things that we've always wanted to do. Um, like me going over all the classics again and like, you know, updating specs, um, all the systems that we have in place for like our online portals for like training and things like that. Like that was all updated and, you know, just things like <clears throat> Laura is the director of ops. So she did a lot of that kind of internal things like with payroll, you know, just like making all those like induction, uh, processes and stuff updated. Um, you know, there was just things that we just didn't really have as much time as we'd like when we're open and these were, this is the time to do it, like updating anything we could or projects that right. I've wanted to do. So that's how right. we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, smart to, you know, capitalize on that time um, and not just consider it lost in downtime. Uh, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about um, the Irish coffee at the dead rabbit, which lots of people are going to be having today. <laughs> yeah. We've just been nonstop brewing coffee the last couple of days. Um, so, uh, it's actually, I'm actually really sad that Damon's not here because I wanted to tell him a, a secret. Um, but <laughs> so the, the Irish coffee, it's a classic cocktail. A lot of people don't have a great memory of it because they probably haven't had a great one. Um, and we really wanted to, um, you know, I wasn't part of the opening team at Dead Rabbit. I came on board a little over a year after the opening, about a year and a half, um, but the guys really wanted to showcase Irish whiskey through this classic cocktail and do it right. Um, I believe Sean had uh, Dale DeGroff's Irish coffee years ago and, you know, it just blew him away. And they wanted, they basically originally started with Dale's recipe. Um, and over time, you know, we, we experimented with doing different base whiskeys. Um, <clears throat> and every year we kind of like revisit it. And one day, uh, Dale came and spent a few hours with me at the bar and we just went through different syrups, different proportions, different coffees, different, um, you know, different base spirits. And, um, you know, we, we all agreed that like Bushmills original blended Irish whiskey, um, was the best match for, for our coffee blend and for what, uh, was the best balanced. And, um, you know, it's very, it's, it's very simple, but it's very easy to screw up. So, it's, it's the proportions of good quality ingredients, um, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's simply five eighths of rich Demerara sugar syrup, about three and a half ounces of, uh, hot, um, and handling or Sumatra and handling coffee, uh, one ounce of Bushmills and then topped with freshly whipped cream that's unsweetened. And the key is that you're using a six ounce glass. Uh, when you get anything bigger than that, you tend to throw everything off balance. But um, we <clears throat> at the bar can do a lot of these. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, we use a hot water bath, like a sous vide to. Right. That's what I wanted to hear about, yeah. especially. I've seen some some clips of videos and photos of this system that you guys have in place because this drink is so uh, sort of cornerstone to your program that you've kind of gone mm. like kind of kind of ham on being, you know, the minutiae of it. So, you, yeah. Talk about the water bath, et cetera. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I'd worked in other bars before dead rabbit and i remember no you didn't work anywhere before the dead rabbit <laughs> i don't exist before <laughs> no um so i worked in other bars that did um hot drinks and i was like this is a nightmare like this is such a disaster like it, you know it would be it would be cold before it even reached the guest uh, it was messy you know having a kettle on your back bar like it was just it was it was crazy and uh, so when I worked at Death & Co, like anytime anybody brought up a hot drink, I just nipped. I was like, nope, we're not doing it. It's just a disaster. Not happening. So when I walked into the Dead Rabbit and I saw how they executed the Irish coffees, I was like, damn it. Why didn't I think about that? <laughs> uh, Jack, Jack had uh, come up with the idea to get a hot water bath, a sous vide, and put the Irish coffee or hot punch, whatever they were doing, inside the sous vide. Um and at first you would, you know, um, some people might just put the, the, the liquid directly in the sous vide. It's actually much better if you fill it with water and then you put like, um, plastic, uh, heat proof, you know, um, bottles in with the mixture in it, because that way you don't have to dump it everything at the end of the night. 
And also, um, it's just cleaner. Um, it doesn't burn at all. Um, and it's just, it's just better. So we, we now, um, we have how many sous vides in the house? One, two, three, four. We have like five or six sous vides, um, for each bar to have, uh, the tap room has two. And, um, we basically can rotate making sure that everybody has hot Irish coffee mixed all the time. So we, we brew the coffee, um, and we make the demerara sugar and then we mix those together. So I tend to make the batches of like 10 liters of coffee to two liters of demerara sugar syrup, two to one. Um, and then because that kind of marinates together and that's heated together, like every, every coffee is consistent and everything's piping hot. So right. it's super easy. And we use uh, protein shakers for our, um, for the cream. And that just, again, it's, it's efficient, it's clean. Um, and you're not like losing uh, the texture of the cream every time, like, you know, you need, you need it. Brilliant. And like, again, I've seen like a video clip of this and it's like a, it's a machine. Like you've created a machine um, that just enables you to move out consistent quality and, and flavor uh, of these. How many of these do you think you're going to buzz through today? Oof. I mean, even, um, and this is, and this is obviously an off year because we're, you know, we're not at capacity or anything like that yet due to Corona, but like, how many do you think you're going to buzz through today? And how many did you, would you have buzzed through in previous years on St. Patrick's Day? I would say in previous years, we did about a thousand, maybe 1200, <laughs> something like that. God. Crazy. Something, yeah. It's like Jesus. Um, but typically on a regular day, it would be like, I don't know, about 200. Just a um, regular, like just a regular summer Sunday. <laughs> just a no, hot, but I mean, I, I, just I a hot winter. ass New York City Sunday. You're still doing 200 Irish coffee because it's so well known and it's so freaking delicious. I mean, and it's also on St. Patrick's Day. We um, we like to instead of you know gouging our prices, we actually like to give back. So we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll kind of give a special menu of uh, some drinks that are lower in cost, uh, and also our Irish coffee will be. Uh, $10 instead of 14 right. um, and we'll do uh, select $12 cocktails featuring Row and Co. Um, they're, you know, today, again, it's because it's a seated environment and um, you kind of don't know what to expect. I would assume that most people will have an Irish coffee yeah. um, coming in and we have like, I don't know, 260 people on the book. So, you know, I hope that we do about 200 Irish coffees, you know, Maybe more. I'll say I've 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 got a good feeling for you. I don't know. I'm I, I guess I guess uh, since I'm the one that has to counteract uh, the pessimism here, yeah. I have a good feeling That's that me. you're gonna that you're gonna beat two hundred today because it's such a. I mean, every time I go there, it's the first thing before I even look at the menu. I'm just like, yeah, I'll take an Irish coffee and then I'll sit down and figure out what I'm gonna drink yeah. next. Sure, it becomes your sure sort of thing. it's yeah. it's like a perfunctory. It's like your think drink. Let me yep. sip on this coffee and ch peruse the menu and, and, you know, soak in the environment that is the dead rabbit, which is, you know, very transformative and uh, trans transportive, I mean. Um, yeah, it's, it seems like a no-brainer if you're there. There's like two yeah. places in the world that you're going to sit down and have an Irish coffee, right? And that's one of them. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's cozy and it, it elevates the, uh, the coziness with that Irish coffee for sure. And it's what we like, we like to call a session drink. It's, it's something that you can have like two, three of them and like not you know even really feel buzz it's only an ounce of of whiskey and so it's just something you can you can drink it fast you can have a few of them and it's uh won't won't hurt you too bad <laughs> right it's not gonna yeah. not gonna cripple you to have a an ounce of, of of whiskey and a hot coffee you're not gonna pound it you know it's gonna take a minute to drink it so it's it's yeah. you know it tempers your Im imbibing speed just by the fact that it's hot yep um, absolutely well, Joe, we drifted away a little bit, but let's get back maybe and talk uh, about the book, uh, Mixology and Mayhem, which, again, came out in 2018. Um, but uh, and you're also working on a, an, another book that's going to be coming out in 2022, I, I read. Correct. Yes, what, yes. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the first one, and then let's talk a little bit about the second one. Sure. Um, so Mixology and Mayhem um, was the third book that uh, Dead Rabbit put out, and um, it was a the main focus was um, on like how we put together a menu, like the thought process behind creating um, a world-class menu. So um, 
we've kind of always been known to to really put all of our efforts into making something unique um, into into these menus and to have always be telling a story no matter what we do. And so with the the idea behind the comic book was, well, at first, like the first three years of the, the Dead Rabbit being open, we had these like very big, long menus that had stories and essays and it was, um, uh, they were amazing. But after three years of doing that same style, we decided that, okay, let's throw a wrench in it and really, you know, get people's attention with something completely different. And so we went with something that was not as wordy, something that told a story, um, basically of the the dead rabbit leader, John Morrissey was a real person. And we kind of took his persona and morphed him into this like rabbit man. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of wild. It's like a Marvel comic, you know, and um, that was the idea. And the guy, uh, Mark Rahill, who does uh, all of our artwork, um, he actually uh, draws comics. And so this was right up his alley. And he was a big part of uh, working with Sean and our copywriter to put all this together and tell the story. And um, on top of that, we decided, well, let's include some of our like friends all over the world that are in the, the beverage industry and make them part of the story uh, being characters. So that was really fun um, mm -hmm. to have, you know, to kind of ask people who wanted to be part of it and uh, have them send pictures to the artist to like, you know, making certain poses that he needs to draw. like. You know, and I've done that with Mark before. He's like, all right, I'm going to have you like throwing knives. So I need you to to uh, like make this movement in a picture. And it's it's quite funny, um, quite a funny thing. And so the, the book explains, you know, how that all worked and um, and, the, and the design and, and the layout. And it's basically all the comics um, are put into one uh, compendium. And then the kind of I, I picked like the best drinks. Um, well, in my opinion, the best drinks or the most popular drinks out of that menu. Couldn't do every drink from every menu. That would be a, be a lot. Um, but I, I narrowed it down to uh, 90 cocktails and um, uh, over the course of the six comic books. And, um, you know, it was, it was not just Irish whiskey. It was all, all across the board spirits. So it was cool um, to just showcase some of the highlights of the menus uh, over the course of that, those three years. Awesome. Um, sadly, Jillian, we're pushing up on time, yep. but I do want to get a few words in about uh, Patty drinks, which will be coming out soon. Talk talk really quickly about that, but we have a we have a hard out in two minutes or so. Okay. Um, so Patty drinks is uh, basically a book that is uh, modern. Talk about modern Irish whiskey cocktails. So the the, the drinks in here are going to be ninety uh, original cocktails from the Dead Rabbit um, that showcase all different styles and brands of Irish whiskey. And really, um, there's going to be flavor wheels, you know, that talk about the different casts and um, how that affects the Irish whiskey. Basically, we want people to know how to utilize it in cocktails um, and, and learn about the category itself and, and how to utilize it in their, in their beverage programs. That's fantastic. So if, uh, if, if people wanted to follow along in the, the developments of this book coming out in, uh, I keep thinking 2022 is two years from now, but it's not coming out next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, are there, are there some socials that they should follow you on? Um, yeah, so you can follow the bar at deadrabbitnyc.com, uh, or sorry, at, at deadrabbitnyc on Instagram and uh, uh, Facebook. And then I'm at Jillian Vos uh, on both Instagram and and Facebook. Awesome. And, and don't be offended if she doesn't get back to you until tomorrow. She, <laughs> it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds like you've got a busy day ahead of you after yeah, this. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Ever so slightly. <laughs> uh, well, Jillian, thank you so, so much for joining us and uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Um, Slancha, and thank you so much for having, uh, having me on the show. It was a pleasure and you guys are great guys. I always enjoy the show, so it's been an honor to be on. So Thanks, thank you. Jill. Look forward to having you on again when we're back in the studio live and we can maybe sip some Irish coffees together over some pizza at Roberta's. Um, thanks great. again so much for joining us. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Happy St. Patrick's Day. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The This is Lou Bank. 
And before I ever went on any agave road trips, I was taking daily trips on the G-Line from Manhattan to Greenpoint, Brooklyn, where I lived with a couple of my Marvel Comics co-workers. Where we lived then is about four blocks from where Duke's Liquor Box is located now. Where was Duke's in 1989? We sure could have used it back then. Back then, you couldn't even find decent beer. But now, man, now if I were thirsty for something obscure, like, say, I don't know, a gin made with guava and passion fruit, I'd go to Duke's Liquor Box. Haitian bitters? You thirsty for Haitian forest bitters? Hey, go to Duke's. How about heirloom tomato eau de vie? I didn't even know what that was in the 1980s. But Duke's? Duke's has that. Duke's has small batch distilled gems like LA1 whiskey, or if you want to drink like a druid, grab a bottle of their Glendalock pot still Irish whiskey, aged in sustainably harvested 140-year-old Irish oak barrels and ex-bourbon barrels. Or, what's that you say? Does Duke's have agave spirits? Well, of course they do. Duke's Liquor Box prides itself on their selection of fine spirits and wines, so you'll find rare, delicious treasures like Cinco Sentidos Tobola, Tozba, Pachuga Mezcal, and Siembra Valle Ancestral Tequila Blanco. Duke's Liquor Box has everything you want, including a selection of New York spirits from their locals' only shelf. The only thing they don't have? That's a guy named Duke. So don't ask for Duke when you visit Duke's Liquor Box at 114 Franklin in the heart of Greenpoint. You can also shop online at dukesliquorbox.com. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.